As you're making yourselves comfortable, say hello to your neighbor, uh, wave to a camera, say hello to the online uh, community that's with us this morning. Appreciate y'all being here. Kiddos, uh, if you're heading to uh, kids' community, head that way to the back door. There's somebody there greeting you. <clears throat> All right, welcome. Nice to see you. Hey, uh, we love, if we haven't met you, maybe you've been around and we just haven't connected yet or you're new this morning, um, thank you for being here. I know it's kind of a big step, jump into a space you've not been before. Um, uh, the next step that we would have for you, apart from just hopefully allowing God to refresh you and meet you in some way, is to be able to connect with you. Uh, you should be able to find a means to do that within your reach. There's probably a card or something like that. If you don't have one of those or you'd rather do electronic, there's a QR code you can use. Uh, basically, we're just looking for the right time and moment uh, when you're ready to just find out where you are, what you're doing, how we can support you, and how you can come alongside uh, a bunch of people here just trying to find Jesus in our lives and, and follow him into the world that we live in. Um, if you uh, are a believer, you, you've, you've trusted Christ, uh, that's, that's where you live, God's at the center of your world, but you've never stood up in front of your peers and your friends and said that. You know, that's what baptism is. There, there's that dramatization of death and life that we do in the water, but the central thing there is, hey, everybody, I just want you to know what is at the center of my life. And if you've never done that, we have, we have uh, an opportunity for you to do it. It's August 21st. We just did some recently, but we've got some others that are interested in baptism. Um, I would love for you to take advantage of that opportunity. Even if you've been baptized, but you've, uh, maybe as an infant even. There's some uh, theologies and spaces in this world where that happens, but you have no recollection of it. Uh, and you want that baptism to stand. It's meaningful to you. You've been baptized, but you've never as an adult as a, stood up and just said it. I, I would love for you to take this opportunity just to do that part of it. Uh, think about that. If you want to be baptized, you want to make a statement of faith, uh, we'd love to include you in that in some way. That's coming up here pretty soon. Um, my wife and I like to go to New York City. It, it, it's a fun, fun place to just watch all sorts of different people do in life. We go to New York Times, uh, to, uh, to Times Square in New York, and just sit there. There's actually bleachers in Times Square where you can just sit and watch people and watch what's going on. We also love to ride the subway. It's a whole nother experience of people on the subway. And we love it. We love it. We're actually usually taking the subway out to Flushing Meadows to watch the U.S. tennis open. Uh, one of the first times we were there, uh, it can take you a little bit to get used to how that subway system works. Like, first of all, you got to make sure you get on the right side of the platform so you're taking the train in the right direction. You can quickly understand, you got to get off the next stop and flip around and go the other way. The other thing, once you're on the right side of the platform, is whether or not you're getting on a local train or a, an express train. The difference is the local train makes every single stop. So if you're going a long way, you want to get on an express train that stops like every five stops. So we get on the train, we're in a bit of a hurry. We ask a New Yorker, a cl clearly it was a New Yorker. It's like, hey, is this train local? He goes, hey, it's, 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 it's rush hour. They're all local. You get there eventually. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> eventually is good. That's good to know we're going to eventually get there. But if you're in a hurry and you want to get some quickly, eventually is not what you're looking for. Local wasn't an exciting thing, but it was good to know we would get there eventually. 
Western culture has, the, the, the culture that you and I have been born and bred in has slipped away over time from the virtues of moderation and patience. We, we are not excited about eventually. We like immediacy. The, the culture we live in has just gradually slouched in the direction of greed and immediate gratification. That was accelerated pretty significantly in the early 1900s with mass production. A lot of stuff for a lot of people to get real quick. And the introduction of widely used and even increasingly acceptable commercial debt, right? Credit cards. You can, we've made a lot of it and you can have it right now before you haven't even had the means to do it. To the point where we are today, nearly 100 years after mass production started ramping up and credit started ramping up, in a space where greed is nearly undetectable, it's normal. It's normal. You can barely see it. I remember reading Tim Keller, one of, uh, uh, one of the great pastors and authors of our time, said, I've had people come into my office for a lot of things and admit humbly to a lot of problems and need to work through a lot of things. Not once, and almost every pastor can attest to this being true, not once has anybody walked into my office or his office or any pastor that I know and said, I'm struggling with greed. It doesn't come up because it doesn't seem like a thing. We can barely see it. I know you've heard me talk about this probably, but I love rejecting the get one free marketing gimmick. When I go to Sheets and get a piece of pizza, you get one and you buy one and you get one free. And I always go up to the counter with one piece of pizza. And they say, hey, you get a second one for free. And I say, no, thank you. And then the head explodes outwardly. There is no, there's no way to grasp onto it. They're like, no, but it's free. Of course, you would take more. If you can have more, you would take more. And when it's free, you, you, must, you take it. I, I don't want it. And there is no universe. There is no universe where two pieces of mass-produced pizza are good on any level. <laughs> but you should take it. If, if what you want, this is the world we live in, the thing is, this is true, right? If what you want can be had, you should have it. And you don't have much time. That's the other pressure that we feel. You, if you, you, if you, you should have it. If you can have it, you should have it without reservation and without delay. That's the clear message of capitalism without moral underpinnings and good character. Right? Th those things can mitigate that and put capitalism in a different space. But without that underpinning, capitalism is simply, if you can get it, get it. And if you can get it quickly, get it quickly. The message is many things in your life must be accomplished. They must be attained. They must be acquired. And you don't have much time. That's the kicker. You don't have much time. The clock of your day, the clock of your uh, week, the clock of your month, even the clock of your lifetime is ticking. And you are manipulated daily to feel that pressure. 
You got a bucket list? Bucket lists are great, right? P- people love bucket lists. It's also anxiety provoking. Because if another year goes by and you didn't check one off, you're like, oh man. So the bucket list turns into one of those things. Not just stuff you want to do. You want to experience those things. And the idea of not experience them is rough go. FOMO is real. Fear of missing out is real. The idea of never enjoying the advantages of great comfort and great comfort that come from wealth. Like the idea of never experiencing that. The idea of never experiencing the stability of a lifelong companion. As time shortens, it freaks us out. So we start to scramble to get those things because we can get them and we should get them before we run out of time. Eventually, eventually is not welcome in our world. And for most of us, life, life is too short. I haven't got time for eventually. And you know what Jesus says to that? Um, no, it's not too short. Jesus says, God hasn't designed you for immediacy. You, whoever you are, wherever you are, are designed for something other than immediacy. You're designed for eventually. Did you know? At the core of who you are is eventually, not immediately. You have a soul, an eternal soul. You are made in the image of an eternal God. The book of Ecclesiastes says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the heart of of humans, the human heart. At your core, you are eventually. And you're made to live in an eventual context. Immediate isn't how you were designed. You have a temporary body. You have a short-term body. You've got that body for a short amount of time, a minuscule amount of time, really. The, The disciple James wrote, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while. Our physical bodies are going to be gone like that. But your soul, the core of who you are, is eternal. And the application of you've got your body for a short time isn't what we think it is that, well, then you better get busy because you only have a short time. No, no, no. We have to, we have to, we have to be disenchanted of that idea altogether. We have to let Jesus disenchant us of this idea. You are made in the image of God. Eternity echoes in your soul. You are not meant to rush and fret and worry. As eternal beings, I want you to hear this. You have all of the time in the world, times infinity, As eternal beings, whatever you're up to, whatever God's doing with you, whatever transformation is taking place, whatever work he's given you, you don't need to hurry. He isn't finishing it in this lifetime. 
You have all the time in the world. Time's a bazillion. Jesus tells us the best things of your life are going to find their fruition in the next life. The best things of this life don't end in this life. They go on to greaterness in the next. The satisfactions and the fulfillments and the perfections that are meant to be yours, they they happen eventually. You get there eventually. Listen to what Jesus is doing in Mark chapter 11. We've been working through Mark. His detractors, as usual, are setting up a ridiculous hypothetical to test Jesus in hope of invalidating him and his teachings. They fail miserably again. But Jesus uses this opportunity, like I said, to disenchant all those with ears to hear. Then and right here, Jesus wants to disenchant them and us of this urgency to get everything done and fixed now in this lifetime. He disenchants these Sadducees and the people listening and, and us if we pay attention of the notion that we've got to get everything here. We've got to get it all done and it all fixed and it all accomplished because it all ends here. He invites us out of that anxiety and freneticism and into the peace and the pace and the rhythms of eventually. That's who we were made to be. The Sadducees... Don't believe in the bodily resurrection. That's where this passage starts. Is the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, come to him with a question. It wasn't uncommon to not believe in the resurrection. It wasn't a whole lot we understood about that then. On some level, we don't understand it now. We just know it's true. But they didn't believe in the bodily resurrection or the immortality of the soul. That's, that was one of the defining characteristics of these Sadducees, a particular sect distinctly different from the Pharisees who we normally hear about. The Sadducees are like, it all ends here. Everything ends here. So they set up this very weird, extreme thing. It starts with the truth. They say, look, teacher, which they don't really mean that. They're being cynical. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man, um, the brother, then must marry the widow and raise up the offspring for his brother. It was his brother's responsibility to come and marry uh, the widow of his, other, of his brother and ca- carry on his lineage through children that come of them. They say, that's what Moses taught. And they're like, okay, so what if, they're like, there were seven brothers. And the first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. These guys who don't believe in the resurrection go, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Since the seven were married to her. Having been made one flesh with seven guys, which one will she be married to in eternity? It's as though they're saying, this mess, along with any number of other messes we've gotten ourselves into, is going to create quite a confusion in eternity. How is God going to sort this out? And Jesus Jesus is my hero. He says, uh, are, are you guys wrong because you haven't read the scriptures, which is like all they do? Or because you don't understand the power of God. Which is it? 
Is, is your gibberish because you haven't done your homework or you think God can't handle this? What is your, what is your problem? You obviously aren't reading your Bible or you would understand the obvious thing that comes from the scriptures that you do live into the next life. You can't read the narrative of God and not see that. But he says even more concerning than that is that you think God's going to be caught off guard by this and unable to work it out. Even if you miss such an obvious doctrine regarding life after death, Jesus says to these men, why is your view of God so poor? Why, why do you think why wouldn't you imagine that with God, there is so much more than this physical, visible world? He could go on with these men. You believe in a creator God that pre-existed this world. Where do you think he is? Do you think he's constrained by this world that he created do you think he only is within it? Everything's going to end. The God that created all of the cosmos and breathed life into place and send his son. <laughs> you think he's constrained by this world? Well, who is this God? Doesn't it make complete sense that he would be beyond your comprehension and is surely unimaginably fabulous? I mean, this, this is me extrapolating, but Jesus is at the beginning and at the end of this section, which you'll see in a minute, Jesus is basically, what is wrong with you? How are you missing this? So he goes, okay, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. If there's a bodily resurrection, guys, it doesn't make sense, doesn't it make sense, that we would have a super gold plus version of these bodies and minds. If there is a bodily resurrection, wouldn't it make sense that it would be somehow glorified and amazing beyond belief what they would change into? If in the life after this early death, our bodies obviously won't be merely earthly anymore. They'll also be heavenly. Because guys, how can you miss this? God is beyond this world. We're going to join him in that world. He says, we're going to be like angels. Not, we're not going to be angels, but, but like angels. Bodies, but heavenly bodies. Jesus talked about this a lot, a lot, even more than we even have record of. Because listen, listen to how Paul puts this. He says, I, I, he's talking to a church in Corinth, very eclectic church, all kinds of different people. He says, listen to me, I'm telling you, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'm telling you, a mystery. This is a little difficult to get your head around, but listen, we will not all sleep, which is, is a sort of metaphor for dying. We will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, 
Trumpet's going to sound. The dead will be raised. The dead, the perishable, will be raised imperishable. Will be changed. The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortal. There is this mortal, perishable thing that's raised and then clothed and cloaked with the imperishable. Jesus is saying, this is all through the scriptures. It's a mystery. It's, it's, it's God taking what he's created and just putting it onto, into steroids into the next. Listen, listen, guys, life after death is real. It's real like this world and real like the world you can't yes imagine. Yet imagine. It's both. This is why we love superheroes. I'm convinced. This is why we love superheroes. Because it's our future. It is. I wanted to be Superman so bad. I used to literally strap a towel around my back. My mom had to stop me from going up on the house jump off because I just couldn't get quite enough distance and height off the picnic table. I wanted to be Superman. It's in me. Eternity is in my soul. That There's something within all of us that says we are made for something more, and it's true. There is something greater coming that is an extrapolation of who we are even now. These guys are so lost, so short-sighted. They think the problems of this world are going to overwhelm God in the next. I want to try to, I'm trying to quickly build this metaphor out for you. So uh, we're talking about the life we live, right? Life we know, the visible physical world, and trying to imagine this future world that, that we, we have some glimpses into and some promises about, but have a hard time imagining what that is. So I want you to instead imagine that you're a stick figure in a comic strip, in a newspaper, and what's next for you is this life. Are you with me? So you're a stick figure in a comic strip in the newspaper, and Jesus is sent from this life into the comic strip. So Jesus is a stick figure now, right? And he's saying to the stick figure people, you and me, right? Are you with me? This is nuts. We're stick figure people in a comic strip, and Jesus shows up in that and says, look, you're going to become like this. But we don't know what that is. And the stick figure people say, okay, are you saying that we're going to be on the front page of the newspaper instead of the back page? Because if we're on the front page of the newspaper, is this the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal? Because if it is, a lot of smart people reading that, and we have little bubbles of a few words. It's going to be a little embarrassing. Are you saying we're going to be on the front page and we're going to have bigger bubbles with the ability to put bigger words in there? She's like, no. No, you're not going to be in the newspaper at all. You're not going to be 2D. You're, you're going to be, uh, you're still going to be a stick figure. It's like a skeleton. Your skeleton's still going to be there. A little stick figure. Like we all have a little stick figure inside of us. Are you with me with this metaphor? It's going to end in a second, right? <laughs> They're saying, this is what's coming. You're not going to be some, something greater in a newspaper. It's, you leave the newspaper, you take the stick figure with, but you become something utterly different, full language, not little bubbles. Are you with me? This is what Jesus is promising. And these guys are talking about, okay, how's this stick figure thing going to work? And it turns out it's not. It's going to be there, but it's going to be something completely other than, yet the same in the next. And he says about marriage. He's like, look, 
in this glorified space of your body and your mind, the, the glorified context of who you are won't require transformative practices and covenants like marriage. All those things exist in this life because of your current frailties and insufficiencies and sinfulness. We don't need promises to be faithful in heaven where we're glorified and exceeding all that we've ever been created to be. We don't need all those things. Your love and your commitment to one another in the next will be at a depth that dwarfs any need for constraints and structures of this life. Your relationships, my relationships, even more so the intimate relationships that we have will be glorified. They won't be, and they won't be manipulated by the eroding elements of jealousy and covetousness and immoral temptations and thoughts. In that space, our relationships will be consumed by faith and love and sacrifice and selflessness. Love will be deeply embedded in your heart. You won't need promises and laws to protect one another. You won't need that. So he says, okay, enough about marriage. He's like, this isn't going to be a problem. About the dead rising, about resurrection. You guys don't believe in this. And he says, have you not read the book of Moses, which is a rhetorical question? They have read, it's like all they read. They have it memorized. Have you not read the book of Moses? The account of the burning bush. You remember this? Jesus says, remember when God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It's like, do you remember that? What is, what is, what is God saying? He's not saying, I used to be the God. He's saying, I am the God of these dead guys, which means they're not dead. I am currently the God of them. This is what the scripture says. This is what Mark wrote. Jesus said, he is not the God of the dead, but the living. Our lives don't end here. Eternity is embedded in your soul. He finishes with, you are badly mistaken. He starts with, what is your problem? Are, are you not doing your homework or do you not believe in the power of God? And he explains everything. It's like it's right there in front of you. You guys are so wrong on this. It doesn't end here. There is more to our lives beyond the grave. He says, I am currently right now after those guys' earthly dead, death, their God and yours. Here's the sad part. This is the sad part. Too many Christians, too many of us, at least to some degree, unconsciously live as there's no resurrection. I see it in my friends, I see it in, my, in the mirror. I see it in the church. On a practical level, we often live like this is it. We have the same anxieties, the same worries, the same frenetic pace because we're running out of time. We're not. The believer understands we're not. Christians who don't understand God's eternal design and the resurrection of Jesus are living 
like there is no tomorrow in the most profound and unsettling sense. There is a tomorrow. We have to, we have to look at our, our lives. Look, look at the rat race that we often capitulate to. I have heard half a dozen people say, and you understand this, this is not true in, in essence. That, uh, people say, I miss the pandemic. Nobody misses the pandemic. But there is an element of the pandemic that I've heard many people say, I miss that I didn't have to be running everywhere all the time. And the implication is, and now I do. Like, there's no choice. You just have to be in it. Look at the level of anxiety in your own life. Where is it? Is it too high? Look at the commitments of resources and time associated with pursuits that will end in this lifetime. Look at the sacrifices of some of your pursuits. The ones that have, and you know it, little eternal value. Look at the patterns of our life, the pace of our life. Look, take, this is a, this is a tough one. Look at how the patterns and pace of your life is shaping your children's worldview. They have a worldview. A worldview is being formed by our pace and our anxieties and our worries and the things that we do that have really no eternal value. Think about how we structure our family lives, our, our, our married lives. Look at what we expect and demand from one another we might have to face an embarrassing reality that we live like we don't believe in the resurrection, that we don't believe of the eventual glorification of our work and of our being. We have been duped, just like everyone else, into a life that denies the nature of God. And what happens? Far too often for those who are duped into the idea that it all ends here, what happens? What happens to those who believe it all ends here? And, you, and this covers the entire spectrum from the wildly successful person to the disappointingly failed person. What happens throughout that spectrum? Those who achieve their dreams and those whose dreams have been shattered way, way more often than we would ever want to know and we ever do know, take their own lives. Within the context of it's now or never, it shouldn't shock us that people take their own life. It should shock us that more don't. If it's now or never and you've arrived and when you arrive, you discover what you hoped that it would do, to meet the eternal nature of your soul, it doesn't do. Is there anything more discouraging than reaching the pinnacle and it doesn't work? Equally devastating is I'm so far away that I can never reach what I think would do it. I'm just going to quit now. What happens to those of us who, to anybody who doesn't or does think it ends here and now, we shorten our lives even more. 
It's sobering to consider that the starting line of the paragraph of my life could be the same as the starting paragraph of this event. The Smith family, who, based on their frenetic lives, obviously don't believe in eternity and or any eventual resurrection into it. You know? What do people see? How would they describe it? Does it look any different than those that are purely living in a, a secular worldview with no God and no resurrection on a practical level? Am I, are we any different? Does your life reflect the pace and the peace of eventually? You are designed to culminate eventually. And not in this world, but the next. I dare say you should have your sights set on nothing that does not reach beyond this world. As a believer, why would you? Whatever you do, it should be clear that it can only find its fruition in the next. If what you're doing if what you're pursuing, if what you hope your children attain to finds its resolution in this lifetime, you're not designing your life from an eternal point of view where things culminate in the next. I am uh, jumping in your chili here. I'm using some examples that are very mundane. You're like, oh, this again. You know, it's like, just hear me out and whatever it is for you, make them leap. But just, these are just kind of contextualizing examples. Where does a continuously intensifying sports routine for your kid find its ultimate reward? What is the end goal of that? It's in this world mostly, right? If not completely. Where does a compulsive pursuit of a 4.0 grade point average, which apparently is low now. <clears throat> I can't even tell you if I would have graduated at this point, my grade point average. A top tier, what, what, what is the, what does, where does a compulsive pursuit of top academic performance and top tier college scholarship find its ultimate reward? This world or the next? Where does an increasing stock market and real estate investment strategy find its ultimate reward? Usually. All of the stuff of this life can be adapted, it can be adapted depending on how we live within it to have eternal use. But without that intentionality, the things that we are wrapped up in, if we are honest about it and it was successful, what would success look like? It wouldn't be in the next life. It would be this one. Conversely, where does a once a week, full day Sabbath rest from all things through which we find meaning and significance find its reward? What do you get in this lifetime from taking a break every week from everything that gives us significance and meaning? Where does that get us in this lifetime? It gets you behind in this lifetime. Where does a life consistent in its unnoticed offerings to the poor and the marginalized, unnoticed, unrewarded offerings to those who need it, where does that get you in this lifetime? 
It doesn't. You have to find a way to make sure people notice without you making a big deal of, of what you did. And then, where does it land you? Where does giving five times more of what you have away than what you do right now, where does that get you in this lifetime? Backwards. All of those things have a culmination in the future that is beyond your imagination. You see what I'm saying? When you think about, oh, I want to have some kind of future impact, heavenly work, eternal type work, and you imagine what it is, it isn't anywhere close to the greatest thing in this world. I don't know, I don't know quite know how to illustrate that, but... If you truly believe in the resurrection of Jesus, would your life be made up more of the first things I'm talking about or the second things? Of course, it's the second things. C.S. Lewis famously said, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you get nothing. What if you get very little done in this life, but you pray? That's like turning down the second piece of pizza. That doesn't even make sense to get to the end of your life. You know how many points, this is a good way to illustrate it, just thought of this. Normally pastors think of these things ahead of time. <clears throat> the greatest thing you do in this lifetime gets you between one and three points, the earthly type stuff. You make, a, you make a $1 billion, you get three points. Now we'll give you seven, seven points for that. <clears throat> when you pray, you get like two points in this lifetime. It's not worth, you know, you look around, you go, yeah, you get, you get a lot of points for making a lot of money. You don't get a whole lot of points for praying. You know what those con points convert into when you get to heaven? The seven point billion dollar points that you got, you turn those in and you have seven points. You keep your seven points. That's it. The, the, the two points for praying, when you convert it in, goes to two million points. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't go to seven points. It goes to six points. It's beyond what we can imagine. We just don't think in those terms. The resurrection, the eternal life, the work we do here, which gets very little credit, we get very few points, converts into something immeasurable. It gets finished in a fashion you can't imagine. Eventually, eventually. Are you going to spend this life shooting for seven points or two? Ask most people. Just ask it. How many points do you want at the end of this lifetime? Seven or two? We're going to say seven. If you say two, it's foolish, which is exactly what Jesus said this looks like. It seems foolish. What do you mean you're not taking the second piece of pizza? Just saying. You have a lot of pizza in heaven. I'm not going to get into it with you right now. But <laughs> <clears throat> what if you fix nothing in this lifetime? What if you fixed nothing? You know, there's, call, there's no call in Scripture for you to fix anything. There isn't. What if you just loved? What if the people you were trying to fix, or the stuff you were trying to fix, never got fixed, but they got loved? How many points are you getting for that in this lifetime? What if you don't acquire much, but you always share whatever you have? What if that was your whole life? You just didn't really have much to amount to it, but you always shared everything. 
What if the infrequently fulfilling, infrequently fulfilling heavenly work that you do, because it isn't, heavenly work isn't always all that infilling. Now, eventually. What if that unfulfilling, at times, heavenly work stored up eventual rewards beyond your imagination? What if you don't have to get everything, you don't have to completely achieve anything, you don't have to completely fix anything because you have a million years to finish it up eventually? What if that is how we lived? This is the end of the Pauline scripture I shared for you earlier. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. This world is dwarfed by the victory of Jesus. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like Tammy was saying earlier, now, but not quite fully yet. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand up. Please. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand up. Stand firm, he says. Let nothing move you. Don't buy it. Don't buy this world. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know, you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. God is victorious in Jesus. We apprehend that future victory now by faith and by hope. Hope is eventually. That's what hope is about. We believe the scriptures and the power of God. Amen? We believe this. We're not like the Sadducees. We believe the scriptures. Our hope is a hope in the eventual, not the immediate. Don't worry. Nothing needs to be entirely sorted out or accomplished in this lifetime. In Jesus, time is not too short. It's never too late. Unrewarded, unmeasurable spiritual work matters, and it will be finished in fantastic fashion eventually. You've been called to do the right things and the good things with very little concern about results. In Jesus, the progress of life, catch this, Jesus, the progress of life has no end. It's never over with God. God's plans cannot be stopped. God is fixing, and he will fix everything. Eventually. There's no hurry. Whatever your lot in life, whatever you face, God will see you through. God prevails. God will win. It's a certainty. One day, everything will be as it should be including us, eventually, <laughs> including us. Where do you go, church? One day, our work will... I'll point to you when I want you to talk. Okay. Our, day, our, our day will talk, will take on immeasurable results. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You get there eventually. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.